Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. I am really looking forward to today's episode where I'm talking to Ashutosh Mahindra. He is the founder, CEO in Food Tech Ventures, bringing food delivery to the 21st century. He has launched and built the world's only baking on-the-go food delivery platform. That's a mouthful, but I think if you have his pizza, you'll be even much happier. He's going to tell us all about this. So welcome to the show and uh, pleasure to have you. Hi, Darshan. Thank you for such a generous introduction. Pleasure to be here. Sounds yum, doesn't it? Makes me want to go and grab a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get into that, I want you to tell me uh, about your journey and some of the aha moments that you've experienced and had to get you to where you are today. You know, it is uh, such an interesting topic, aha moments, because one is enough to change anybody's life. And as a person who takes a lot of pleasure out of uh, being able to come up with innovative solutions or somebody who places a lot of importance on being different, standing out from the crowd, on doing something which is not ordinary, which is extraordinary uh, in the way that it solves a problem and it adds value to people's lives. I guess even without realizing, uh, one thing I would chase more than anything else, would be these aha moments. So I'm glad we are having a conversation consciously about it today because it's certainly a very enriching, rewarding moment. As far as my journey is concerned, uh, specifically related to the aha moment that led to this venture, I guess destruction is the foundation on which creation is built and pain and turmoil and struggle with uh, an issue is a very key ingredient with somebody coming up with anything which is worthwhile. So I come from a business family and I always seen business and aspire to uh, do business. And in business, one of the hardest thing to do is to sell yourselves. And I've been in sales all my life, especially in the B2B segment. And a large part of that was spent in selling commodities where you can imagine there is very little differentiation whatsoever. I would just dream about uh, being in a position where I would not have to do any hard sell and the customer would walk in because my proposition was so compelling and so different. This has been something that has been on the back of my mind throughout my career. And therefore, I've always looked for ways to differentiate whatever it is that I'm doing because at the end of the day, that is what will sell a product or a service more than anything else, a differentiation which a consumer values. I was going to go back to something you said a minute ago. Many times opportunities come arise during destruction. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that because I think your personal story is quite interesting and compelling if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, like I was sharing, I come from a business family and uh, I was born with the proverbial silver spoon in my mouth and was able to live a very, very good life for a large part of my life until a few mishaps uh, within the business meant that whatever four generations had worked towards creating was destroyed over four years. 
And I found myself in a position where from being in a position of relative comfort and wealth, I was all of a sudden somebody who had to think of where to find the money for groceries and medicines even for a small period of time. And obviously, when you go through that turmoil, you also tend to see a lot of hardship of uh, not only the financial but emotional kind and social kind because mm -hmm. it has all sorts of impact on on relations with family, with friends and all sorts of consequences in terms of creditors and lenders. Uh, anytime a business goes down, it's not a good thing, especially if it's a business which has been built over many, many generations. It was almost like a, a kick in the stomach kind mm -hmm. of an experience. So there was a need as much as a desire to do something. And for the first time in my life, probably, I worked outside of my family business at the age of 40 and uh, learned what professional corporate world was like for people on the other side of the table. And uh, while I had a great time, I was working with a friend and we did lots of fun stuff together. I always felt that the leverage that one could get from building something of their own was much, much bigger. And I I had a desire to get back to where I had come from. And I thought that the path to that destination would be much, much quicker in building something of my own. So I was I was working on several ideas. But had it not been for this experience, I probably would never have had the motivation to give it the kind of energy that birthing and raising a business requires, that going from zero to one requires. So in hindsight, if this works out, and I hope it will, and I think it will, and I think it will be something that people will appreciate, then I will have thanked the very thing that I was so upset about to have brought this transformation in my life. So to that extent, I don't know whether there is a lot of street cred or currency in spirituality these days, but suffering and uh, pain and destruction why we tend to think of them as negative developments, I think in a way they, they help us push forward. That comfort and success and abundance would not. I want to go back for a second. I want to get into your venture for sure, but I want to touch upon something. You went through a very hard time. Now having gone through that, and if you were to share three components of what you think got you through it, or if you could tell a younger Ashutosh, say, you know, if you can focus on these three things, it will get you through these hard times to the other side. What would be those three things? I guess the biggest thing would be belief and faith that time heals all. And understanding and a wisdom that nothing is the end of the world. Even the end of the world is not the end of the world. It's the beginning of another cycle. And 90% of getting through difficult times is, of course, you have to do a lot. Uh, you have to be able to get up. You have to be able to motivate yourself when everything is going against you. You have to face the challenge, and that requires a certain amount of energy. But even if you were to go through it without being at the top of your game, just showing up, being there, facing it, not giving up, literally, that's it, not giving up, no matter how good or bad you're doing, how good or bad the situation is turning out to be. If you are the one who's left standing and not the problem, then you will will 
and the problem will go away. It is, in my opinion, an eye-staring contest. Who blinks first? If you continue to stare at the problem, I think the eventually the problems blink and they go away. And my guru taught me that we can solve all of our problems because we are bigger than our problems because we are the ones who created them in the first place. So how can our creation be bigger than us? But to me, it was not three things. It was just one thing. Be there. Don't give up. I think most people, even me, many times in my life, if I have not overcome a problem, it's because I've given up. And if I had stayed the course, I would have eventually come up. This is not to say that you should not make decisions around changing course or pivoting, etc. But that's to me, is a part of the process of not giving up rather than leaving the field. Mm -hmm. Let's move further here now. Food Tech Ventures. Tell me about it. And what are you doing when you say bringing food delivery to the 21st century? What aha moment happened that inspired this? And what exactly are you doing? So like I said, I was working on various ideas to try and raise funding for to be able to start a venture of my own. I am somebody who loves pizzas. and I would have to put myself through the tragedy of driving to the nearest pizzeria alone if I wanted to have a pizza many a times because I'm the pizza aficionado in the family. It's only now in India that you see a lot of gourmet pizzerias popping up, but for a very long time, Domino's, Pizza Hut were the places to go to. So one would have to drive in, wait for the pizza to be cooked, sit in the parking, have it before driving back home if one was to enjoy the pizza in the right fashion, which is what I like to do. And I thought to myself that there is a lot of bad involved in this good experience. Tell me first, what is the right way to enjoy a pizza? Well, the right way to enjoy a pizza is fresh off the oven. Or in fact, the right way to enjoy any food, especially food which is bread-based or baked or fried, is fresh off the oven, fresh off the pan, fresh off the cooker. Because food has a very short half-life. Anywhere between three to five, seven minutes, food loses its soul. Imagine going to your favorite restaurant, ordering your favorite meal, it being served to you hot and fresh, and somebody like me coming and saying, wait for 15 minutes or 20 minutes before you enjoy that. And imagine what that does to your experience. That is something that we experience every day in the name of food delivery. Even though we pay more for that experience, and of course, there is a value to be able to have it in the comfort of your home. And the food aggregators have brought the whole world of cuisine at your doorstep at a very reasonable delivery fee. What is missing is the fact that most of the food, no matter how expensive a place you order it from, and I'm a foodie and I order much to the chagrin of my family, I order every night and every night I would be disappointed, especially with pizzas. So... I would go and eat. And these, the second problem with pizzas especially is because these foods over the years are delivery heavy. They've been designed now for delivery, the, the commercial pizza delivery operations, where the bread is thicker. There is a lot thicker carpet of cheese, as a result of which, by the time you finish chewing on the sauces and the ingredients and the flavors, the bread is still in your mouth and you, you're still left chewing on it, which is not supposed to be the case. The original Napolitan pizza is a very, very thin base. It almost dissolves in your mouth along with the rest of the toppings and ingredients. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So A, food has a very short half-life and 20, 30, 40 minutes is just 
sacrilege. And even with food being designed for delivery, you have to compromise so much. And even then, it's not such a good experience. Because I remember the first person who I convinced to put money in the venture because I had none of my own, as I said. I took them to a Domino's, in fact, a Pizza Hut and other such popular chains. And we stood there. We ordered a pizza. We had half immediately and half after half an hour. And uh, I did not have to do any further selling. The case was made, if we can pull this off, that if this is economically viable, operationally feasible, scalable, etc., etc., then this is a better way. Certainly from a consumer perspective, this is a better way to have a pizza. So let's get to that better way. You're a pizza aficionado. You like it straight out of the oven. So you drive to the Domino's. You're sitting in front of the Domino's waiting for the pizza and it comes delivered. And you're eating it, and I believe you have an aha moment. And what is that aha moment? It was almost like somebody sitting on one of my shoulders and whispering in my ears. It was so surreal. I don't know what led to it. I have my guesses. But the aha moment was like somebody was talking to me. Some third person was talking to me and saying, instead of baking and then delivering, you should be baking while delivering in a manner that the food is ready just when it reaches you so that the oven-to-table time is exactly the same as it would be in a restaurant. So explain that in more detail, exactly what you mean. You're saying instead of baking and then delivering, you're actually baking while on the way to deliver it fresh and hot out of the oven. Absolutely. So as far as the consumer is concerned, we are a normal pizza delivery service. Just like you would order on your normal pizzeria, you would order on us. Mm-hmm. And then we have a way to assign your order to one of our mobile pizzerias, which we may get into more detail about as we go further along. And that pizzeria would start driving towards you and say, you're 20 minutes away. They will factor in that time. For example, 12 minutes into the journey, they'll start preparing the pizza. Mm -hmm. 15 to 16 minutes into the journey, they'll start baking the pizza. 18, 19 minutes into the journey, they'll start packing the pizza. And 20th minute when they reach you, or 21st minute, give or take a few minutes, they'll be ready with a packed pizza and give it to you fresh and piping hot. And it would not be a pizza which is designed for delivery. It would be a pizza which is authentic the way a pizza is supposed to be, which is actually worse if you were to deliver it than a pizza designed for delivery. Okay, so when you say they, explain in detail what you mean by they and how you're actually doing this. This is, I assume, a truck, is that correct? Uh, Well, the footprint of the van that we use of the mobile pizzerias, as we call them, is very, very small. They're about 13 feet by 6 feet, and the the kitchen itself is about 8 feet by 6 feet. It's like a milk delivery van. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to keep it very, very compact is because pizza delivery on traditional modes of transport, especially in the developing world like in India, is done on uh, two-wheelers, which can reach anywhere. So we had to keep the size of the van very, very compact so that it could reach any nook and cranny and you would not be compromising what you can do because of the size of the vehicle. So it's a small vehicle, six feet by eight feet is the size of the kitchen. So imagine in a 48 square feet area, we fit in an entire pizzeria. It almost looks like a very tightly packed, I wouldn't dare use the word space capsule, but in terms of the usage of space, every square inch has been planned because one of the things that was clear to me was that in order to elevate the experience of the consumer, there was no way that we were going to 
regress the experience in some other manner. So we were going to start with fresh ingredients and dough and replicate almost to the bone the entire process that would be followed in a gourmet authentic pizzeria by a, a proper pizzaiolo. So we need fresh ingredients and dough and a place to store them. We need the working surfaces to be able to turn this dough and ingredients into a raw skin with topped with the right ingredients. And we need to be able to bake it at 500 degrees centigrade for 90 seconds, which is what a, a Neapolitan pizza is traditionally supposed to follow. And we need to be able to garnish it, cut it, pack it, carry all the uh, ingredients and the packaging. And we need to be able to do all of this while ensuring quality and while doing all of this on the go. I want to make it clear the picture of this van. You have a van. You have a driver in the van, correct? And then what's in the back of the van? You have this kitchen, you have the oven, you have all these ingredients fresh. But I assume there's a person in the van, correct? And how is this person standing, walking? I mean, how are they secure in a moving vehicle, making pizza? Very good question. That was one of the first questions that we answered. So you cannot stand, unfortunately, because as you stand in a moving vehicle, that is when you experience anybody who's been in a public bus would know that. So you have to be seated. And you cannot be seated on a normal chair, so our, so we use saddle chairs so that while you're seated, you're in a saddle position so that it almost feels like you are standing while sitting. And uh, you're secured with a seatbelt, a racing car genre seatbelt. And, of course, our chefs wear helmets and elbow guards and leg guards and a chest guard <laughs> and a back guard. And the reason for that is because I never would have wanted anybody to hurt themselves while we were doing this. And this is also the reason why we use electric ovens rather than anything which is wood-fired or gas-fired. Right. So if I have this vision correctly, this is a, a person wearing the equivalent of what they wear American football is <laughs> sitting on a little chair that would be like uh, riding a bull. <laughs> well, actually, that would be a good place to recruit our next chef from. A rodeo. More like a, a biker. A lot of the stuff, the safety equipment and gear that we use comes from the biking industry. Yeah, but for some of the situations we face, I think the American football kit would come in quite handy as well. <laughs> so tell me. You've not only gotten into the pizza-making business, you're also into the manufacturing of a vehicle to enable and create this. So you actually have gotten into a couple of different businesses at the same time, all in the pursuit of delivering a fresh, hot pizza out of the oven to your doorstep. All in the pursuit of delivering an experience which the consumer believes, without argument, to be the one that they would choose over the competition without too much convincing, on their own. Rather, they would act as a brand ambassador or a proponent of that experience to others. Yes, and I guess uh, that's normal for any disruption. I mean, we're doing something very small, which is making pizzas on the go. But if you think about any industry, the way it got its start, or any disruption, big or small, you have to solve multiple problems. And that is actually part of the fun of it, because... I love the fact that one day we are solving this problem and the other day we are solving a completely different problem. One day it's about batteries, the other day it's about... So, for example, unlike a restaurant where you have all your chefs under one chef, an executive chef or a CDP or a 
chef who's running the kitchen, all the commies are reporting to him and he's able to oversee everybody. We have a single chef in a van all by himself. So how do you control quality? And the answer to that was that we're going to have CCTV coverage inside the van where the chef in the control room can see what's going on inside the van. And each pie is photographed from the top and the bottom before it's sent out. And to the extent possible, temperature is taken and recorded so that we know exactly what we're delivering. And uh, we are able to, across a fleet of vans, enforce the quality and the operational procedures and standards. So from automotive engineering to energy systems to kitchen appliances being designed from the scratch, another interesting challenge that we had to solve was that if you drive on the road and if you are going through a bump or if you are accelerating hard or if you are accelerating or decelerating while turning, there are so many forces that get applied to the food inside the oven that it would keep moving left, right or jumping. And mm-hmm. if the pie is at 400, 450 degrees where the sauce has literally become a soup on which all the uh, ingredients are float, literally swimming and you, you subject it to these kind of motions, then you would end up with a situation. You could end up in, say, 15, 20, 30% of the cases situations where all the ingredients are on one side and cheese is on one side, etc. We had to have stabilization platforms for our oven and many other such interesting challenges. And part of the fun of doing something like this is that you get to dabble in so many different subjects and learn about so many different things. And a part of the reason we've been able to pull this off is because each one of these subjects, I don't know what else to attribute it to, but divine grace that I've met so many people who walked in, subject matter experts at the top of the field would come in, would first smile at us in disbelief and then look at us with sympathy, if if not empathy, and help us out with the treasure of knowledge that they were carrying around for very, very little fee or sometimes no fee at all, almost taking pity that somebody is trying to do something so silly or foolish. It sounds uh, silly or foolish until it's done and then it looks obvious, of course. Meeting so many interesting people across different fields, from designers to engineers to, I mean, within engineering, automotive engineers, battery uh, and energy system engineers, computer engineers, algorithm writers, etc., etc. And of course, the chefs themselves who are all of a sudden surprised that they're working with a strange group of people that they've never uh, really interacted with before. I mean, why would a pizzaiolo be talking to an automotive or a battery engineer? (laughs) <laughs> was beyond him when we first started out. But they all ended up having so much fun, and me included, that I would do it just for the challenge of being able to solve so many different problems. So let's go back to the experience you're trying to deliver. So what's happened? You've got these vans making pizzas in the back with the driver in the front with a helmet, pads, and a gyro underneath your ovens. <laughs> so how's the experience been for your customers? What's the feedback? The feedback is very, very good when we get it right in the sense. So there were two problems to solve. One was the food itself. It had to be good, even if it was baked stationary. And uh, to ensure that we baked 18,000 pizzas before we launched, because I was so nervous uh, of not getting it right, because I couldn't cook to save my life and I hadn't baked a pizza in my life till we thought of doing this. So I had to be extra, extra sure. And then the problem of doing this on the go, and then the problem of getting the delivery time right. So there are three different sets of problems. The first one we solved by the sheer volume of pizzas we cooked. 
The second one we were able to solve with the help of so many great people who came along and helped us. And the third one, again, we did a thousand free deliveries to test ourselves and our ability to do it. And uh, we launched, and this was the first time I was doing a D2C brand. And I didn't know how to generate demand or where it's going to come from. And by sheer luck, somebody tried our pizza and decided to write a review on social media. And it just went viral from there. And we kept on getting good reviews after good reviews. There were bad reviews in there as well, because, you know, you might feel that it's only pizzas that you're delivering. But if you happen to do a good job and somebody has recommended you to somebody, and they happen to be a diabetes patient, then they've just taken an insulin injection in time for your pizza delivery. And if you don't get it within that delivery window, then that person is probably going to have to take another injection or make alternate arrangements or sleep without eating. Or for that matter, for example, if the children are involved and it's a school night and you've been recommended and you are supposed to deliver for dinner, and if you're late by 15, 20 minutes, then the kids are going to go to bed disappointed for not having seen the van. So there have been times, especially early on in our journey, where we were still figuring out the ropes and we goofed up. So it was extremes. We either got five-star reviews, and thankfully, 90% of them were five stars. But there were times when we goofed up. And uh, because the expectation was set so high by the people who were recommending butchery, it was, I mean, the angst of the consumer was very, very understandable, but at a personal level, something that took a lot of getting used to because to see somebody so disappointed in you is as bad as somebody see related with your product and service. So throughout this process that you've been doing and the developments of, are there any standout aha moments that you'd like to share with us that say, you know, this was a real revelation that I now know. You know, there are two kinds. One, we just fell in our lap. And so there were uh, moments of inspiration. And uh, we were like, wow, we thought of this and it worked and it clicked and it fit in the right place right from the word go. And there were other aha moments where it wasn't that obvious and it was hard graft and lots of hidden trials and working through the problem and trying many things and coming across the solution. So for example, India is not a producer of batteries for many applications. And we used to fit in almost a small house worth of energy stored in our batteries in our pizza vans. And we had a huge amount of problem with uh, getting them manufactured here in India to the extent that uh, we spent a lot of money and God goes and it didn't work. And for a moment, the existence of the entire venture came under question. But having faced what I had in my life, I wasn't as faced. And uh, it meant spending four or five nights in a row for several months at the office, not going back home, working through the problem, doing a mini PhD in energy systems myself, and uh, figuring out how to fix the problem. This was the hard graft kind of aha moment where it wasn't one aha, but you worked and you worked and you worked till you got it right. And then there were other times when we thought we'll do this and it happened like a flip of a switch and it worked. For example, the packaging that we use is very environmentally friendly. It is very unconventional for a pizza business. We use terracotta plates primarily because they absorb moisture and don't let the pizza get soggy and 
you can heat the terracotta inside the ovens to keep the pizza warm even for the three to five minutes that it takes for it to get delivered. And we were able to get it right in the first time. And not only did it serve a functional purpose, it turned out later on that people really loved the packaging and many a times were ordered because of the packaging. So both kind of aha moments. So what stage are you at now? When did you start this? So we launched in May of 21 with two vans and we were beyond break even pretty soon in the first six months without having spent any money on marketing, purely through word of mouth. Then we ran into the problem of being very well funded uh, in the sense we got a lot of money more than what we knew what to do with. And we got in a rush to take over the world and expanded quite quickly in terms of building capacity, faced a lot of challenges with the new capacity that we had commissioned because all of this was being done for the first time. And by the time we solved the problems of the capacity, we realized that we'd hit a funding winter and we are now having to again face the challenge of having to promote our product and service in a very crowded, in a very competitive market without any marketing dollars. So that's also an interesting challenge. Now I'm I'm doing a sort of a mini PhD on marketing and digital marketing and how to uh, spread the word without spending a lot of dollars, which is a great learning experience once again. But that's where we are at. So we went from two to 14 vans. We were break-even at two. We are now trying to achieve break-even and profitability at 14. Interesting. So what do you see next for your food delivery and maybe even for pizza? What do you envision happening as you move forward? I think the man in a van is a good concept. It works, but for the model to really scale, I am of the opinion that we're going to have to do this robotically without a man in the van. It cuts down the capital investment drastically, and it cuts down the operational cost drastically, and it allows us to offer the product at a price point where it can replace or it can compete with mass offerings. So that what should be a standard experience for pizza is available not only to customers who are willing to pay a little bit extra, but also customers who want an economical price experience and delivery. Although for us, the premium end of the market is very large in itself. Surprisingly, in the kind of cities that we want to operate in, which is the metros all around the world, it's 35 to 40% of the market. But I feel that this is something that should be available to everybody. And I think robotics and mechanization is going to help us get there. It's going to help us scale faster. It's going to help us compete at a lower price point. And it's going to help us deliver consistency. And with the help of technologies like ML and AI, with every delivery, the machine gets smarter and better at because you're able to plug in the feedback and the cooking process and connect the two and let the software figure it out for itself. Or, or so I think at least. I'm not an expert on any of these fields, but uh, probably why these leaps of imagination. So it sounds like while you're working on your digital PhD of marketing, you're actually also initiated a new PhD in robotics. <laughs> well, believe it or not, the day I thought of this idea, one of the first calls was to a very good friend of mine who runs a robotics business. And we hadn't even drawn the back of the envelope business plan. And we struck a deal to exchange equity in the business in exchange for technology. And over the course of the last one and a half years, we've been working on the culinary process and the robotic process in parallel. It seemed like a daunting task. 
but I think we figured out a way to do what many teams across the world have been trying to do, which is to come up with a robotic pizzeria, but to do it in a manner where we don't compromise on the spread of pizzas that we offer or the quality of pizzas that we offer while dealing with the complexity of putting together probably in a pizza menu something like 25, 30 different ingredients on 10 to different, 14 different varieties of pizzas and doing it in a manner that betters what a human can do or at least matches what a master pizza all can do. So it's not me. In fact, like in most of the journey, I've only been jumping around the room excited about the idea and it's it's a lot of other people with their expertise and insight and training and knowledge who've come in and solved specific problems. And this robotics team has been working at it for a very long time now. I think they're close to delivering the breakthrough. So if you could have a meal <laughs> with anyone in the food delivery or pizza world, who would it be and why? That's a very good question. I think I would have a meal with Elon Musk or Larry Page or Sergey Brin or Jeff Bezos or thinkers and innovators of that stature, simply because I don't think I would be able to have a meal with uh, people like these under any other pretext. <laughs> and to be able to sit on the same table and understand what drives these geniuses to build the kind of products that the whole world depends on. I mean, imagine a world where WhatsApp or Google shuts down for a day. What a state of panic that would create. It would be as big an event as any other catastrophe that we can think of. So one would like to ask the same questions that you're asking me to these people. What's behind all of this? Where did it come from? How did you manage to do this within one lifetime? What takes usually or used to take generations? And understand some of their thinking. Well, I want to thank you for the episode today and the conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think this is an amazing idea and revelation that you've had. And I can't wait to have a hot pizza delivered out of a truck in my area. <laughs> and look forward to trying the pizza as well. So thank you very much for joining me. And I, uh, I look forward to hearing updates from you and seeing where you are with this venture. I think it's very exciting and interesting. And thank you again. Thanks a lot. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.